Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com. YouTube, music, Apple stores, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. We do it all for the Hornsby, Karingai Post, and Atlas Chartered Accountants. Anthony the Bull Caruso with you tonight as we transition from our summer of cricket wraps into the winter season. We start off with a heap of podcasts around the world game. Yes, we can announce that Triple H FM is now a broadcasting partner with Football New South Wales, and we are so excited to have a look at where football is and where it is going for the future. To start with, we're going to look at, have a look at a major international football tournament expected to, to occur in the middle of the year, this year, the European Championship. I can't do this alone. So, joining me tonight is our chief football correspondent, Aston Villa's number one fan, and our resident central defending midfielder. He is a spicy chorizo. Dom Rizzuto, good evening to you. Good evening, Bull. Great to be talking football. The European competition is back. It's been a delayed build up but we're finally here for the euros um it's it's been it's an exciting time some of my favorite memories from this competition are some of my favorite footballing memories and i don't think this year is going to be any different i think the build up's been fantastic despite the fact we've had to, <laughs> the obvious obstacle in the way in covid-19 but i don't think that's going to mean that uh, football on the european continent is going to be any lesser because of that reason big year obviously we we have the new format as well which uh, continues to divide opinions but it's here to stay for the time being and i for one i'm keen to crack on and look at these teams one by one and give us uh, some predictions to our supporters and listeners here on triple h and splinters something to null over and debate with us about Absolutely. Well, there has been plenty of changes this year with the competition taking on a brand new structure, especially with the increased number of nations competing. So there's plenty to get through in terms of the competition structure and what the groups look like. So, Dom, with that, the referee's out in the, in, in the middle. Our favourite football commentator, Martin Tyler, he's ready in the box. <laughs> and this time, VAR has been switched off. We are going in hard. We are going off the cuff. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. <laughs> So, Dom, to kick things off, there's a bit of a change in not only the way that the competition has been structured, but also who's hosting it. To celebrate the 16th anniversary of the tournament, the decision was made to expand the location of of the competition to cover specific cities instead of being one nation or a group of nations. Now, I should stress that this is just a one-off because 2024 has already been announced that it's going to be held exclusively in Germany. This is the first significant change they made with a certain cities allowed to bid for certain packages. I, for one, like it because it's going to spread around Europe, and as I said, it's a one-off. It's an interesting one. I think it's a shame that this style has come about now with the with the COVID-19 pandemic making it difficult, obviously, uh, for fans to kind of travel back and forth between stadiums and there might be a limit on numbers um i know but over in europe not as strict as we are here in australia with that but i'm sure that there may be some concerns around it as well in terms of people actually wanting to go to the games as well so look i, I like it I, I have to admit and i'll hold my judgment until after it finished the tournament that uh, i i would I, i'd probably still a fan of it being in the one destination i think the atmosphere within that destination really kind of exerts itself and sort of propels and a footballing musk. So that's the right word to use that we can all kind of uh, get around. But when it's kind of in different location, it just feels like Euro qualifiers a little bit. We'll see. I, I agree. I, I think that's fair enough. Um, as I said, I think it's only only because it is a one-off and it's to celebrate a certain anniversary, I think it's fair enough that they do something like this. Who knows? They may bring it up again for the next anniversary. But... We shall see. 
The results of that were that certain stadiums were rejected or not just not um, or told that we they weren't going to be proceeding from those. And the stadiums that I think was most surprising that didn't even get a mention was the Millennium Stadium in Wales not getting selected. That surprised me. Yeah, I think geographically a bit of an annoying one to get to, and you've a got a beautiful rem- one, a great one. But you've got to remember as well with the moving around. They're going to have to keep them within a decent distance to each other. You can't have be having Wales play, playing one game one day and you know in Wales and having to travel over to somewhere else and ask fans to follow them around. It's too much. Yeah. So I think they need to be within a kind of central hub. Great stadium, don't get me wrong. And I think if there was to be a, a UK-based tournament, it's one that you'd definitely play some football football at, but and that's if Wales were there. But in terms of the, its geographical location, it's too hard to move, not just fans around, but the team around itself. You can't, it's not fair to have like Wales playing out of uh, Millennium Stadium every week <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on true. some of the other other hosts. Uh, so it would be interesting, to, sorry, the other countries, so it would be interesting to see um, where they kind of put them all, but I can understand why they didn't go with the national stadium in Wales. Going through the stadiums that were selected, some of them um, unsurprising, some of them a little bit surprising. Copenhagen, the Puskas Arena, Johan Cruyff Arena, which is the home of Ajax, we're off to Bucharest, Hampton Park in Scotland. We're off to Sevilla in Spain. So no new camp, no um, no Bernabeu Stadium for Spain. It will be in Sevilla. We're off to Baku in Azerbaijan, the Allianz Arena in Germany, of course, the home of Bayern Munich, the Stadio Olimpico in Italy. You're very happy with that decision, Dom. And, of course, in St. Petersburg, with the semi-final and the grand final, be held at Wembley Stadium. Now, the rule changes that have come out of this, and this has been done through COVID, so it's no surprise they're going through this again. Maximum of five substitutions can be made. A sixth substitution will be allowed during extra time. However, you've only got opportunities to make changes three times, excluding half-time and between full-time and extra time and at half-time of extra time. So some of this is all COVID-related, which has just been done across the whole world. Squads will be expanded to 26 teams, of which 23 will be named at any one time. Let's go through them, those groups, Dom. I'm going to go straight into Group A, and the first team off the rank, Italy, this time being managed by Roberto Mancini, the man of many scarves. If obviously they lead the kind of charge in Group A, you know, you'd think that they would best Turkey, Wales and Switzerland but you've got to remember that last time out it, you know, Turkey was, oh sorry, Wales were very good, you know, semi-finalists in the last Euros. Turkey had picked up some massive wins in the build-up to this competition as well and some World Cup qualifiers and some European qualifiers so definite uh, challenge for uh, the Italians there as well and even Switzerland, you know, pretty strong squad these days as well but I tell you what, you know, it's Italy's to lose, but it, you know, it's it's a tough group regardless. Here's the thing: they're going through a major transition. This is the first part where this is the first thing you notice about Italy. The, the BBC is gone. Well, there's only one person left in that really. Out of Barzagli, Bonucci, and Chiellini, there's only Bonucci left. Buffon as goalkeeper is not there. This won't be there this time around. So. Yeah, there's a major transition there. The other thing that's probably even more worrying for the Absorti is they don't have a, a really that much of a talismanic striker to lead them. But some of the likes of Baggio, or Balotelli, or Graziano Pella, the best they've got is Ciro Immobile. Ciro Immobile has played very well, though, recent seasons. You know, in a Lazio jumper, as it, it burns me to say. But he's coming off the back of a 19-goal season this year. He scored five in the Champions League. And even last year, he was—he was—he almost had a 30-goal season too. He hasn't been able to kind of emulate it this year for for Lazio, Ciro Immobile, and he's always somewhat struggled for Italy a little bit as well. Maybe the pressure—I'm not too sure. But you know, I—he's strong. Yeah, okay, he's not as good as some of the players that have come before him, but he's, he's still at Italy's best. And in my mind, still a top 10 striker in, in the world of football. So he will be a, a, an asset regardless. But where Italy will really surprise people or uh, win, the, win some of their matches is in the, some of the real quality that they have in the midfield, especially through some of their youngsters like Chiesa, Bernardeschi, older sort of statesmen like uh, Lorenzo Insigne. And then you've got uh, guys like... Um, Sandro Tonali at the holding midfielder alongside Marco Baratti. They've got some real quality in the midfield of the Italians this year. 
and that'll be their strong point. We then go to Turkey, who had a reasonable record in, in, in the Euros in the last couple of years, but the only international tournament they qualified for was the 2002 FIFA World Cup, where they managed to finish third. Their form to the competition has been quite solid, and there's plenty of experience in this midfield, led by Ozan Tufan and Hakan Kalha. Um, Kalanoglu uh, and Oka Yoksulu. They're in a perfect window at the moment. They, they're going to prove to be a very much a nuisance team in this in this group. Yeah, absolutely. They're playing some very good football at the moment. The Turkish side. They've been, you know, having some, you know, have had a really good qualifying this year. You know, led by their their talisman up front, Burak Yilmaz, who <laughs> continues to roll back the years for his national side and produce some big goals for them. But like you mentioned, they've got some quality as well in Hakan Kahanalongu. And then you've got guys like Endes Yunal, who's pretty strong. They'll probably take along Changes Unda if he gets a run in the squad. I know he hasn't played much, but then you've got like the, like, a really good defender in Ozan Kabak, who was picked up by Liverpool this year. Strong squad, Turkey. And again, we'll play with a attitude which will show, with a kind of carefree attitude, I should say, uh, with a lack of pressure, knowing that, you know, nothing, you know, they're not expected to get much out of this group. So that'll be a danger for the other squad t- teams in this group. We then go to Wales, whose squad is in absolute turmoil at the moment. Ryan Giggs stood down as their manager after assault charges were laid against him. They did well at the, at the last um, Euro. This is, could well be the last international competition for their big four. And by that, I mean Wayne Hennessy, Chris Gunter, Aaron Ramsey and Gareth Bale, and the prospects after that don't look don't look good for the Dragons. No, and uh, good riddance to Ryan Giggs as well. I hope he gets everything that's coming to him. A disgraceful um, uh, act that he pulled on his brother all those years ago, and then also with the latest drama that he's found himself in. Just another sign of a player who I think, or a former player, I should say, who just thinks the world of himself. And I think it's finally catching up to him in this new era that we now live in. This well side, though, as you mentioned, yes, they've got some quality, quality players, but they're older now, right? Gareth Bale has not had a great season after coming back from Spurs, coming back to Spurs, I should say. You know, they haven't got you know much out of Aaron Ramsey either with his uh, um, stint over in Juventus. Joe Allen is a little older now, playing a straight in the championship. Ashley Williams the same. But I tell you what, they've got some talent, I suppose, in that championship squad. You know, Harry Wilson is a is a good player and should really probably be playing Premier League at the moment, but hasn't found his way into the squads within the top division this season after playing straight with Bournemouth in the year that they got relegated. So, look, they've got some quality whales, but yeah, you hit the nail on the head ball. Those players are very, very much <laughs> at the back end of their career. And also, at the moment, their away kit, I've just noticed, is an absolute rip-off of the Socceroos jersey. Oh, really, that's a crime in itself. So oh, I think that they, they, <laughs> So I hope that their stint in the competition isn't long. We then go to Switzerland, who... Uh been managed by Vladimir Pekovic since 2014. They've had a solid run as of late, incredibly dogged defensive strength over over the years. One of the key signs of that defence in Stefan Licksteiner is no longer with them, but they've still got some very good quality in their in their team with uh, Ricardo Rodriguez, Granit Xhaka, Jaron Shakiri, and Harris uh, Safarovic. And the great thing about them is that they're in their window, their their performance window now, with Mario Gavranovic, the only player above the age of 30 in this squad. Yeah, they've got a... A strong squad, uh, this, the Swiss side, and I don't expect them to be, you know, pushovers whatsoever in this, uh, competition. You know, you've got the likes of Ricardo Rodriguez at the back as well, who's very strong. There's Kevin Mbambu, who's a very good central defender as well, playing straight at Wolfsburg. Then you obviously the midfield is where their real talent is. As you mentioned, you've got Shernand Shakiri, Granite Shaka, and then you've even got the likes of Dennis Sakaria, who plays for Brisham Black. Very good player. And then, Durable Sau, also a very strong player, playing in Germany as well. Up front, they'll be probably led by Briel Mbolo, who's had a, another monster season in Germany for Borussia and Gladbach too. Got a lot of players in this team that play within the same domestic competition and domestic teams that will really help them uh, moving, uh, you know, in terms of that, uh, those combinations that they're probably looking for. A squad full of talent and can, will definitely be providing a challenge and a, in terms of qualification, I, for my prediction for Group A, I'm I'm picking Italy to win the group. It'll be just ahead of Switzerland and Turkey, 
But given that there are certain groups where the third place team can qualify, I think Turkey's a real shout at getting through as well. Yeah, if you, if you look at the groups, this is the one where you think that there will be a third place team that will qualify through. In terms of the way I'm going for it, yeah, I'm taking Italy as the group winner. And I'm going with Switzerland as the runner-up. Turkey, as you mentioned, are the backup third position that may qualify like Portugal did all those years ago. Now, Wales will drop out. I think the turmoil of Ryan Giggs has really, really crippled them and we won't see much of them. Let's go to Group B and we start off with Denmark. They've had a solid return to form with eight wins from their last 11. And those, it should be noted, those two losses against Belgium and there's no disgrace at the moment losing, losing a game to Belgium. The strength of Denmark at the moment in their midfield with the likes of Christian Eriksen, Thomas Delaney and Pierre-Emil Hoiberg. Uh, this is a world-class midfield. Yeah, they've got a world-class midfield. Um, Christian Eriksen hasn't played much football, though, which will be a um, concern move for the for the, uh, for the Danes, being that uh, he wants only, I reckon, two years ago, probably inside the top ten midfielders in the world, having had a, a disappointing season in Spurs uh, that just before Mourinho came in. And then moving over to Inter, he hasn't really been able to find a way into Antonio's Conte side either. Probably <laughs> the managers that he that he went from to the other was probably not the best um, combination for him in terms of the way that he likes to play. Um, but nevertheless, he's a quality talent, and he will lead this uh, this side uh, in terms of they in terms of the way that they want to um, have any kind of chance of qualifying. Obviously, Casper Dolberg is very good as well, and Yusuf Poulsen is a talent um, who's uh, been playing in, at RB Leipzig and kind of leading the charge for them for the last couple of years and it, and then they've got Simon Kejo at the back who's been a strong strong defender for a number of years and obviously you have guys like Andreas Christiansen and, and Yannick Vestergaard there alongside him as well so big back for three as well um, that they can rely on solid squad um, and, but yes I, I'd be, I'm concerned with the lack of football that Christian Eriksen has played ahead of this competition for them we then go to Finland they're making their debut at an international tournament uh, and it has to be said for lack of a better term they have been dragged kicking and screaming into this tournament tournament off the back of the form of Timu Puki ladies and gentlemen the Puki party rages on somewhere well look if there's going to be a uh, to say Roberto Baggio like performance from uh, any player at this uh, competition it's going to come from the likes of Timo Pukki who's uh, once again dragged uh, Norwich back up to the Premier League with his goals in the English second division he'll be a big part of this side's hopes in terms of uh, having an unlikely run we saw Wales do it four years ago maybe Finland can be this team to do it I think, to be honest, they're going to come and collect their Thanks for Coming award, but Timo Puki will be a threat to any one of these sides in Group B. We then go to Belgium, the, the team that are the raging hot favourites for this group. They've, they've stuck with Roberto Martinez to work with their golden generation. And, you know, what do you say about this team? There is just talent all over the park, and they really do come into this competition as one of the, the heavy favourites to the uh, Absolutely, and the group that they've been given as well is one that's uh, very favourable. The world, sorry, the world number ones. This squad is incredible to think that they're still number one, and Eden Hazard's not even going to be in this team at the moment. It is pretty crazy. So I imagine that uh, they'll qualify through <laughs> Group B with ease, probably go undefeated, winning all three games. It's the depth as well that's uh, what's quite incredible about this Belgian side, and with the likes of uh, you know De Bruyne leading the charge, Lukaku up front, and then you could have Christian Benteke coming off the bench. You've got so many different players that you could go with that are going to provide a, a, a threat at any moment. So I imagine that they'll qualify with ease and are definitely one of my favourites to take it out. We then come to the last team in Group B, and it is the Russians. They retain Stanislav Cheresov as their manager, and why wouldn't you after their excellent performance at the last World Cup where they made the quarterfinals, a very workmanlike squad. They have a squad that is comprised completely of players, almost completely of players from their own league, which is something you don't see a lot of in the in this age. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're a squad that um, still kind of, it's, a, it's an elder squad, but one that always comes in and it is enjoyable to watch. You know, they've still got some quality, though. Guys like Alexander Golovin, who's a, a very, very good player, flies his trade in Monaco. He's never really kicked on to the heights that many thought that he would get to, but he's still a quality player. Um, and then you've got the likes of Yuri Zhirkov. Zhirkov who's still playing at the age of 37. I'll be amazed to see if he uh, makes the, the team this, this time around 
as part of that 26. But they've got some quality players and led by Artem Schuber at the age of 32 up front. They'll be a side that will be definitely there to compete and, and they'll show that. Will they produce the same sort of uh, results as what they did two years ago? I'm not so sure. My prediction for this group, I think there's absolutely no doubt that Belgium tops the group. It's going to be between Denmark and Russia for second place. My money's on Denmark. I just don't know if Russia will do enough to qualify third. Yeah, no, I'm going with Belgium and Russia too. And I don't think Denmark will... I'm sorry, I'm going with Belgium and Russia, sorry. I think Russia will qualify second. I think Denmark's going to fall short and be that team that disappoints in Group B. And I don't think that they'll qualify as one of the third best teams. We then go to Group C. We start off with the Dutch. The first... The, the most fascinating decision I saw from the Dutch team to start off with, they are being managed by Frank de Boer, and it is his first significant role since his disastrous stint at Crystal Palace. We do have to feel sorry for, for or- the Orange. Uh, this is the first time that they'll have someone competing on the world stage that isn't Max Verstappen. They've been down on both the World Cup and Euro 2016. So it's been a while since they've been in, a, in an international competition. Uh, it's a young squad. Uh, headed up by Mathi- uh, Matthias Delit and Frankie De Jong, uh, and it's only going to get stronger if Virgil Van Dijk does return from injury. I think if they get their lineup back in shape, they are one of the dark horses this time around. They had a, a couple of years ago, you know, took out the UEFA Nations League and were playing some brilliant football, the Netherlands, but have really fell down in terms of form over the last year. And have had some some pretty disappointing results in in the build up to this competition. Yes, they've got some great talent: Matthias Delit, uh, De Frankie De Jong, Memphis Depay up front. Virgil Van Dijk will be on that plane. There's no doubt about that. Whether or not he's fit is a different story altogether. You know, they've got some really really good players. This Dutch team, and for mine, are definitely one of the favourites to to win this group, and also, like you mentioned, will dark horses in this uh, competition, and then themselves are desperate to break a international duck, right? They still haven't won anything. No, they have, they have. They so the Euros, they, they won they, one Euros, haven't they? Yeah, back in 1988, and that was back when they had the. Dutch triumvirate of Van Basten, Hullet and Rijkaard. And even thinking that that side only took out one Euros as well. And they haven't won anything since. Pretty disappointing. Yeah. You know, they, you know, we always joke about how England don't win anything. Well, you think about the great Dutch teams that have gone, uh, come and gone and that they haven't really had anything to show for it apart from that World Cup final in 2010, 20. Where they tried, where they yes, tried to kick, yeah, 2010 when they tried to kick Spain off the park. Yes, <laughs> yes, they did. But yeah, they've got a quality squad. Their goalkeeping is probably where they lack a little bit, and I don't see much from them. But you know, you've got the likes of Steven Bergwijn as well, Frankie de Jong, as I mentioned, Donny van der Beek, Mont de Roon, Ryan Gravenberg, Davy Klaassen, George Gino Wijnaldum. You know, plenty of quality in that midfield. Probably lacking a little bit up front. Memphis Depay will have to have a very, very good competition. Luke de Jong as well, always solid. But I'll tell you what, they're they're definitely uh, my favourites to take out Group C, uh, regardless of the any frailties that they might have in the squad. Let's go to the next squad. It is the Ukraine, and what a name to have as your manager this time around. They are being managed by legendary shi- striker Andrei Shevchenko. We haven't heard from him since the 2000s when he was absolutely carving it up for AC Milan. They've made the last couple of Euro competitions, failed to get out of the group stages. Like with Russia, the majority of their players based in the Ukraine, either at Dynamo Kiev or Shakhtar Donetsk. The lineup will be headed up by Andrei Yamal- Yamalenko and Alexander Zinchenko. Very midfield heavy, this squad. And it's a shame that uh, Yamalenko hasn't had much first team football recently, as David Moyes' Shopped and, and changed his squad at West Ham. But, you know, they've got the likes of Alexander Sinchenko, who has been playing at left back for Manchester City, which is, which is pretty incredible. But other than that, yeah, look, I don't know where they have too much quality. They've got Junior Moreos up front, who's uh, going to obviously be uh, a threat for many teams. But other than that, I don't know really where else to look in terms of the, the depth of the squad and who's going to be, you know, on that plane moving forward as we get closer to June. It, it's a tough one. I think the Ukraine will be another side that probably comes and has a, gets the Thanks for Coming award. We then go to Austria, making only their third European Championship, and it should be pointed out the second time that they've attended without actually having to host the event. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a mixed form. They've only won seven of their last 11 matches. 
There's still some quality in their lineup with the likes of Alexander Dragovic, David Alava, Stefan Ilsander, and Julian Baumgartlinger. They're going to be struggling for goals because the only person they've got who's a known goal scorer in their lineup is Marko Arnautovic. But the problem he's got is that he's been playing in China, and I don't know if he's going to be allowed to be to go overseas. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, this squad is its not what it once was. Alexander Dragovic isn't too bad. Played David Alabar as well. He's going to really lead the, the side from, from from the back in particular. There's not much else, though, as you mentioned, Caruso, in terms of quality for this, uh, this Austrian side. And I don't know where they're going to really get their goals, as you said, considering that uh, they don't have too much talent. Marcel Sabitza probably the best chance they have in causing some damage to any one of these teams in this division. They've, their, I think, biggest weapon in this Euros Caruso is the fact that they've been drawn in this group and that the two sides that, you know, outside the Netherlands um, are very, very beatable and will be a good opportunity if they potentially qualify third, if not second in this group. And, you know, once you get to the next stages, you know, anything can happen. But that's their, that's their ticket, I think, for this, uh, 2021 Euros, or 2020 Euros, we still, as we're still calling it. Well, let's go to the, the final team of Group C before we go to our break, our break. It is Macedonia. They are making their debut in an international tournament as an independent nation. They're coming with plenty of energy. They beat Germany 2-1 in their last start. The squad is, Fairly decent. They've got Goran Pandev, Alexander Trajovsky, and Ilya Mistrovsky with contributions in midfield from Agin Ibrahimi, Ines Bardi, and Elif Elmas. I just, I don't see there being enough. I think the competition is up between Macedonia and Finland for the ultimate thanks for coming. Yeah, I think Macedonia is probably more up there than Finland is, but yeah, it'll be, I love seeing one of these sides qualify. I think that is one of the nicer things about the opening it up to more nations by extending their number of teams. Uh, and the way in which teams can qualify, I think it's a, it's a much nicer setup, and it, it it creates more football stories, and I think it generates more interest in the game. Yes, okay, it can be a bit frustrating from a World Cup perspective because there are a lot of nations that probably don't want to get there, and from a European perspective, when sides qualify, it's quite upsetting seeing some really very low kind of tenth best team in South America in the competition rather than the likes of Italy or the Netherlands. But in the Euros, it seems to work. And with the side like Macedonia in there, they're going to have a lot of neutrals uh, cheering for them, I think, in some of their games in Group C, that's for sure. Well, let's get your prediction. I've gone for the Netherlands winning this group quite easily. The battle for second place will be on between the Ukraine and Austria. I think Austria gets second place. The question is, is there enough for Ukraine to qualify as a third-place team? No, see, this is where this is where it's dangerous, right? So... For sides that really want to qualify as the third best team, you essentially have to do what Portugal did and draw every game. You think, you know, if the, if the Netherlands were to qualify to win as we, uh, this group as we predicted, that means that both the UK and the Austrians will need to get a result against the Netherlands, which I don't see happening. They'll both most likely beat Macedonia, which means that the only way they're really going to get points is by beating each other. And then by that point, unless they get a point against the Netherlands, which I don't see happening, they're only going to be on three points apiece, which probably won't be enough to go through as the third best team. You're going to need at least four, five points, I think, to be part of that top four that go through. And I don't think either side has, will have it in them. Going with Austria to qualify second, like you, Caruso, but not with a lot of confidence. Well, let's go take a break. And when we come back, we'll have part two of our preview of Euro 2020. This is Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, YouTube Music, Apple Store, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. Of course, we do it all. For the Hornsby Curing Guy Post and Atlas Chartered Accountants, we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, Tune, and all good podcast sites. Anthony Bull Caruso with Dom Rizzuto. We're talking about Euro 2020. We are up to Group C. We've got 
the three lines themselves, England, uh, we're going to be talking about how Gareth Southgate's men defied most expectations, drove the three lines to a solid fourth place, and Dom, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think I can actually hear a little bit of music going on in the background, is that right? It is. Is, is, it, is it seriously still going at your place after all these years? Well, they, they never, it never gets turned off. Uh, it should have been coming home. It just uh, it fell short uh, in 2018 in the world in the World Cup. England 2020 though or 2021 Euros uh, a different team. I think they've got more quality than they uh, have ever had. Um, but this competition is Gareth's. I mean, there's been a lot of conversations around if Gareth Southgate is the the right man to lead them forward, despite his successes in 2018. I always think there's a little bit of a question mark on on England's World Cup. Um, successes in, but back in the last competition, just due to some of the co- teams that were missing out that year. I know you can cry foul around the likes of the Italians and the Netherlands not making it there, but the Italians and the Netherlands, when in the competition, have historically gone a very long way. Yes, the Netherlands have never won, but you, they're constantly in those final group stage matches, uh, sorry, in those knockout matches. Same with the Italians. Very, very few times have they not made it past the group once they're there, and they're very dangerous teams, which I think gave England a bit more of an easier route moving uh, moving forward. That being said, though, really, really good squad, especially in the midfield and up front. They'll be led by Harry Kane. You know, Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, Jaden Sancho, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, Declan Rice is in the mix, James Madison's in the mix, Jordan Henderson, if he's fit, will play a host of quality players. Trent Alexander-Arnold at right back, Aaron Bissaka, Luke Shaw on the left. Even in defence, you'd like Harry Maguire, who's playing good football at the moment. John Stones has turned a new leaf this year. And Nick Pope will probably be the number one alongside Jordan, well, probably Jordan Pickford and then Nick Pope. So they've got plenty of depth and it's going to be, uh, a, a, going to be a very, very good squad and they've got really a, a big chance of winning this competition. But again, the question mark remains, will they bottle it like they always do, the English national team when it comes to a competition of this size? Let's go, let's go to the next team. It is Croatia who are managed by Zlatko Dalic. Um, captain by, I think, one of the best players in the world in Luka Modric, who just seems to get better with age. Uh, they're on a hot streak at the moment. They finished runners-up to Russia in 2018. They had a solid round of 16 for Euro 2016 in France. Their form has not been great. They have been treating the Nations League as basically a series of trial matches, given that they've already qualified for Euro. What's interesting as well is that this will be their first significant international tournament with Ivan Ratic and Mario Mandzukic, the second highest scorer for Croatia. So it is a turning point in that regard, and there are some other players who are... Gonna, this could well be their last international tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I think the golden generation for this Croatian side is well and truly over. And I think that it's going to be very, very difficult them to even remotely challenge for this competition. Luka Modric obviously going to lead the charge. But I tell you what, it's uh, going to be a pretty um, interesting game when you see them play England. Uh, in the, in one of the first matchups. Absolutely. Well, you look at that. You look at who's going to be potentially retiring after after this competition. Apart from Modric, you got Dejan Lovren, you got Domogorj Vida, Milan Badel, and Ivan um, Perisic. Um, yeah, they need to make the most of this European competition. But you think they they won't do it? They're too old now. Yeah, I, I think that this side is is going to struggle to even get out of this group. Personally, let's go to the next team. It is Scotland. Who, who whoever managed to get England and Scotland in the same group? First off, can I say thank you? Because <laughs> I am looking forward to this. Like, unbelievably. Steve Clark's taken over from Alan McLeish after the latter's failure to qualify for Russia 2018. Scotland's first international tournament since the World Cup in France in 1998. A 23-year absence. It's a long, long time, isn't it, for, for the... Uh the Scottish Nationals, that's for sure. But they do make it into this year's competition, and they have a good squad. You know, got the likes of, as you mentioned, John McGinn, Andy Robertson, Scott McTominay, who will be their three sort of strongest players. Probably lack some quality up front, which will be their undoing, I think. But there's one thing that they do have is it's a fighting spirit, the Scottish. And I think that they're a real red-hot chance of being runners-up in this group. I really do. I really don't think Croatia are not the team that they were two years ago. That was their golden opportunity. They got to their World Cup final, which was incredible, considering it's Croatia, and it's as close as they're ever going to get. But since they've lost all that quality, I just don't see um, them being the same threat which gives the likes of Scotland and the next team a real good opportunity in terms of uh, making a, a surprise run in this year's competition. 
Well, one player who we think might actually be there is going to be Che Adams, whose form in, at Southampton gave him a, a call-up to the Scottish national team, and he scores on debut. Word is he's on that plane. He could be one that might be able to solve some of the issues, but you are right. They are very threadbare when it comes to genuine goal scorers. Yeah, look, I think the Czech Republic are in the same boat as Scotland. You know, they, they're not quite the side that had, you know, the likes of uh, Pavel Nedved, so Nedved, you know, in this, in the team, but they've still got some quality. But yeah, again, I don't think that there's going to be much from them. I genuinely think that it'll be the, the both United Kingdom nations that make it through this group. So you're calling, because I've gone in, I've actually called England and then Croatia just picking Scotland. You're going England and Scotland. Yes, I, I think uh, I think England will go through undefeated, as they tend to in the group stages, and then they won't get undone in the knockout stages. But Scotland, I think, will beat both Croatia and the Czech Republic. I really do. Let's go to Group E. First up, we've got Spain, and on paper, they've got one of the strongest lineups in the competition. They've managed themselves to a transition phase quite well. The only players they've got over the age of 30 in their squad are Sergio Ramos and um, Busquets. So from their golden generation in 20, around 2010, they've managed that transition quite well. Yeah, they have. Um, it's, uh, you know, they've, they're not the same side. You know, they've got some good players in young players in the likes of Ferran Torres, uh, Rodrigo, you know, so Rodriguez will hold the middle alongside, um, probably Koke. Or, and they've got some money, uh, they've got Alt, David Olmo as well. They've got some quality, this Spanish team. It's not the same side that won three competitions in a row. Let's just be honest, you know. It's not the same squad that won a Euro, a World Cup and a Euro back to back to back. But it's a good squad that plays beautiful football. And I don't see why they can't be a, a dark horse in this year's competition as well. Sergio Ramos doesn't seem to be showing signs of ageing. Um, he'll lead the side. David De Gea is a fantastic goalkeeper. Yes, he does have his moments of madness, but he's still one of the best in the world on his day, if not the best in the world on his day. And I think that they'll coast through this group that they're in. But will they win the competition? I don't think they have the, the strength and depth. Let's go to the next team, Sweden. They came second in the qualification groups to Spain. They've drawn them again here. Sweden went to Russia in 2018 without Zlatan Ibrahimovic and then proceeded to reach the quarterfinals, which absolutely stunned everybody. Their form hasn't been great, but it leading into the competition, but it should be noted that the losses did include double losses against France and other losses against Croatia, Portugal and Denmark. So, in these warm-up matches, they are applying themselves against very stiff competition. Yeah, absolutely. They've done, I think, the right thing that this Swedish team, they've, you know, they made it to the World Cup in 2018 and they'll be back here again with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, which is great for football to have him playing. Um, in terms of having eyes on TVs. But will they challenge in this group? I think they could be one of the third best teams, one of the four third best teams, judging by the the, the other p- teams in this uh, group, this Swedish team. I don't think they'll win it, but they've definitely got a shot of being a, one of the sides that qualify uh, with the, the new rules. One of the issues I do have with this team, with for Sweden, is the age of it. Because along with Ibrahimovic, you have Mikhail Lustwig, Pierre Bengtsson, Andreas Grunkvist, Sebastian Larsson, Gustav Svensson and Marcus Berg, they're all around or older than the age of 34. Uh, for, for much of this squad, this is their last time together and there's going to be a real question of whether they're going to be running around for the World Cup um, next year. Yeah, I think uh, with Poland, look, Rob Landau, Sweden, Sweden. Sorry, Sweden, but next year, sorry, Sweden, sorry. They've got a good squad and I, I think that they'll you'll use this as a... Uh, as a, a building block for that World Cup, if they can, if they can even qualify, um, it's a lot harder to qualify for the World Cup than it is the Euros, considering that uh, you know there's not as many available positions to qualify for European teams as uh, obviously have the other <laughs> nations qualifying. So I imagine it's going to be tough for them. But uh, look, again, I think they, I don't think they'll come. They could come second in this group, but. Honestly, I think they'll most likely come third. We then go to Poland. They're managed by the very popular midfielder, Paul Sosa. Plan A, Plan B, Plan C all revolves around one person. Um, they're Tasman striker and one of the handful of players that Germany failed to manage to poach in Robert Lewandowski. Uh, their form has been mixed 
but they're definitely not lacking in talent in this squad. No, this uh, Polish side is very strong. You know, as I mentioned, le- led by Robert Lewandowski, but they've got you know a world class keeper in. Or Jack Chesney at the you know between the sticks as well as Lucas Fabianski. I'm not you know it's hard to pick which one of those is actually gonna actually gonna play. Uh, and then you know plenty of ability across the midfield and at the back as well. It's not a a, a glamorous team, but they've got some good players and some key positions, and sometimes that's what you need, right? It's and the rest very, will do the work. The very workhorse team. It's all centered around getting the ball to Lewandowski, who will do the rest. And but when you've got a, a striker of the talent of him, uh, you know that it doesn't matter what situation, as long as you can get the ball in a reasonable position, he will put it away and always, it is going to make Poland very dangerous. The other team we've got in this group, Slovakia. This is the third time Slovakia qualified for an international tournament. They've made the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, Euro 2016. They did make the round of 16 both times, and they've got real strength in the midfield with the likes of Juraj Kuka, Robert Mack, Andre Duda, Marek Hamsik, Vladimir Wies, and Jan Grigos. All internationally recognised midfielders. A pretty good problem to have. The question is going to be how, what structure do you play with this lineup? Don't know their squad all that well ever since they lost, uh, Hamsik all those years ago, uh, to retirement. He's probably, and I just don't see them challenging at all in this group whatsoever, personally. I'd be very surprised if they got a point. Alright, my prediction for Group E, so I think Spain walks through this group. Sweden and Poland battling for second place. I think Poland does, does Sweden. The question is, does Sweden qualify as the third place? I think they do. They're one of my ones that do qualify in the third place. So Spain, Poland, and then Sweden as a third placer. We then go to Group F, and I think the Group of Death. We start <laughs> off with... We start I can't with think that this is the Group of Death, Caruso. This is the Group of Death. You know, you can say that Italy's got a tough group, but this is the Group of Death. We start off with Hungary. They're under the management of Marco Rossi. It's not the glory days of the 1950s when they had Puskas, Kostis, Kishi, Hijakuti and Albert. It's a solid lineup. Oh, again, a lot of players playing in the Hungarian League. And with the exception of Adam Zazali and Nemanja Nokoli, it's a very young squad here and one that's actually proven to be rather exciting in competitions as of late. I only have one name to mention uh, in this list that uh, you've missed, Caruso. Dominic Schlobberschlei. He's world-class, this young man. Was quickly snapped up by Red Bull Leipzig after his performances in his local in his local nation, in the local competition, I should say, and for the national side. He's a world-class talent. He's going to be the one who's going to upset the apple cart if, there's, if they are to produce a result in this group that they've been very unfortunately drawn into. Other than that, yeah, they've got a young squad. It, it's going to be it's going to be a great experience for them. The one player I think that's going to make a difference is Dominic Slobberschlei. Let's go to the next team, the defending champions in Portugal. Fernando Santos is going to be the man charged to help Portugal defend their title. Uh, it should be noted as well, Dom, I don't think anyone's realised it, is that they, they claim that title with the worst rate of any team to win the European Championship in terms of games <laughs> that they actually won. Yes, it was worse than Greece in 2004. Well, Greece at least qualified in second. <laughs> at the end of the day, they didn't go through as the third best team in their group. They got through. And, yeah. uh, it's Portugal, a hard only won, Portugal only won three games in, in regulation time. And they didn't win a, a game in the group. They drew They drew all of them. They yeah. Won, yeah, they won two in extra time and uh, won one. They beat Wales. The Wales was the only one I think they won in regulation time, which was to get yeah. in the semi-final. The rest were done outside of it, which is pretty crazy. But what's scary about this team is it's actually better than the one that won in 2016. This year they bring along the likes of Diego Jota, Bruno Fernandes, Jao Felix, and then, of course, your partner, all of those guys, Cristiano Ronaldo up front as well. It's a pretty impressive lineup. You've got uh, Bernardo Silva as well, who's in that squad. Very, very good player. Ruben Diaz, who has been a revelation for Manchester City, arguably the signing of the season in the Premier League, has turned that team around after their dreadful start and is now about to um, sign them off as Premier League champions in his first year in a blue jersey. I tell you what, this Wolves... Sorry, this... Oh, I say Wolves because that's the Portuguese national team. But uh, it really much is. <laughs> uh, you know, Rui Pachicho at the back as well. Nelson Semedo is a great young talent. I imagine that uh, he'll be... Uh, Plenty of uh, people thinking that this side can go the high end. I missed another play here. 
you know, you still got Giamatino there. You've still got the likes of, um, oh, his name escapes me, the bloke who plays next to him in the Wolves jersey. Pedro um, Neto? No, Pedro is another good talent. He probably won't make the starting team. Might get a run against the Hungary, perhaps. Oh, why is his name? No, just, oh, Ruben Nevers as well. Yeah. Um, in the midfield. This, this team is very, very, very good. And for mind, I actually think that they are, if not my favourite, least second favourite to to go all the way. Well, let's go to the team that I that is my favourite to win the um the win the tournament this year. It is the defending world champions in France. Uh, they will continue under the world's greatest water carrier. Thank you very much, Eric Cantona. Uh, he is of course talking about Didier Deschamps, a great player in his own right back in the way in the day, Dom. Uh, you know. The former Juventus midfielder has instilled a sense of discipline that has not been seen in, seen in the French team before. Uh, it, their record at the moment is brilliant. Eight wins, two draws, and one loss from their last 11 matches. And that one loss was, the inter- was just an international friendly against Finland. So in terms of competitive matches, whether it's League Cup, World Cup qualifiers, or Euro qualifiers, they have not lost a game in a year and a half. What's even more scary is the relative age of this squad the only players older than 30 are Hugo Lloris, Steve Mandanda, Musa Soko, and Olivier Giroud. It's scary to think that this team's going to be going around again and again for another cycle. Yeah, they've definitely got the opportunity to build a bit of a dynasty here like Spain did a decade ago, haven't they, France? Scarily kind of in the similar vein, isn't it, really? They won, in, they won on 18, they might win 20, and they might win in 2020. Two or 2021. It, it's it's a very very good team. Uh, is there a weakness? No, <laughs> I don't see the weakness. Maybe I think their only weakness could be a lack of complacency. Right, they've won a World Cup. It's hard to back it up and win something else again. You know, uh, having you know been there, done that. But they've got s- some very 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 good players. It'll be led by Kylian Mbappe. I think he's going to be the player of the tournament. I think he's going to be unstoppable. For mind, they'll qualify in this group at first, and I don't see too many teams outside of Portugal and Belgium who could actually even beat them at the, in, in this competition. However, they have had some surprising results in the build-up to this competition, some, some silly draws and even a surprising loss, I think, to Denmark, I think it was. So they've got some, as I mentioned, some some frailties, potentially you know, a bit of lack of discipline and character in the squad if things start to get a little unruly, but the quality is there. That can't be denied, and they'll be red-hot favourites to go uh, back-to-back and take that in terms of the international tournaments and and win this year's Euros. Finally, we complete the group of death with Germany. Joachim Lowe, he's going around again. Has he just got this job for life or something? This is his last year, I believe. This will be his last year. This is his last tournament, yep. He's been in charge since 2006. It's a very different team from what he had back then. Mixed form. The only player, I think, back from when he had, um, when he took that first team back in 2006 would probably be Manuel Neuer. Uh, and this will be his last European Championship. He's the last from the World Cup when he squad of 2010. I think there's some wonderful strike power in this team with the likes of Timo Werner, um, Serge Narbury, Leon Goretzka, and Ilkay Gundogan. But Gundogan, I just think yeah. there's... Yeah, Gundogan. But I think there's a bit of issue with their defence at the moment. Yeah, exactly. I was about to allude to that. That's probably where they've lacked in the last few years is, you know, after, you know, the disappointing World Cup as well, they haven't had Jerome Boateng and Matt Hummels at the back playing their best football as they've gotten a bit older. And they were never the quickest of players too. And, and I think they could always use their, you know, whatever, whatever kind of physical um, power that they had to keep up with the speed of uh, of the attacking threats and, and their size. But now that they've kind of lost that, it's, they haven't had the same effect, and I think that's where they've come under a bit of scrutiny. Yes, they've got some good players who could potentially take that mantle over in terms of Matthias Gintner and Nicolas Sule, but I haven't seen much of them yet. Antonio Rudiger is again another another option, but this squad is very good. It shouldn't be as bad as and out of form as it is. I genuinely think that it actually just needs a change of management to kind of revitalise um, the way that they play football. It looks lost and un- and disinterested this team at the moment. You think a front three of Timo Werner, Serge Gnabry, probably Julian Brandt or Leroy, so Leroy Sane out on the left, should be scoring a lot of goals. And then they're backed up by Leon Goretzka, Igai Gundogan and Joshua Kimmich. Like, that's a world-class team. That's an absolutely world-class team. Is- and they've still got and they've still got the likes of Tony Cruz and Julian Draxler playing. I didn't even mention Cruz. Cruz is a walk-on. Is a walk-on. I didn't even put him in my team. 
That's how that's how good this squad is still. There's so much talent. You know, we only you know when they won a World Cup back in 2014, everyone was talking about the the incredible strength of depth that they had and that they were going to be dominating world football for the next 10, 20 years. And it just hasn't happened. So I don't know what it is. I think genuinely it, it, they just might need they just might need to change of football, the change of kind of tact to 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 get back on the right track because this squad is good. Yeah, okay, it's not a squad that probably can win the, the tournament compared to some of the other players uh, that are in other nations' uh, teams. But it's a good team, and it's got a good chance of winning it. And prediction, and it's scary to think that they might not qualify from this group, considering you know the squad that they have. A legitimate, this is the group of death. I'm calling France to come first, Germany and Portugal fighting for second place. I'm leaning towards Portugal just. Is Germany a chance for third place? Germany is absolutely third place. 100%. I think that they'll pick up. I don't think that they'll leave a lo- they'll lose to both Portugal and France. I think that they will get a re- I think they'll get some points against them, which means that they will probably and they'll beat Hungary, which probably means they'll get the four or five points that they probably need to qualify. Uh, Portugal is my favorite to go through. Uh, I think that their squad is too good. Um and France will come in second. Wow. I think Germany will definitely go through as third place and it'll be close between these three teams. I yeah. I, don't, I think People are glossing over this German side because of the the fanciness of France and the kind of perfection of Portugal. Uh, and excuse my cheesy alliteration, but this this German side is very very good, and I think can really challenge them and really push them all the way. Going for Portugal, France are following second, and Germany in third, and will qualify as one of those top four teams. Well, with that, I've got my final prediction for this tournament, which is what the final is going to look like. And based off the teams of where they finish from mine, I end up with a France v Spain final. France v Spain final. Yeah. So who does Spain beat along the way? I had Spain beating Germany on the way. Spain will beat Germany on the way. Yeah. Be cool. I don't think the Spanish team is that much better than the German team. I really don't. What's your your final, do you think? Well, I'd have to go through it and have a look. Not too sure how it it would set up. So, you know, Italy go through as as winners. They'll play most likely Denmark. Um, I'd have to have a look and see how the the draw would work. I'd have to do a simulator and figure it out. Well, let, I'll tell you what, what we'll do is we'll, we'll get a post up to show what the simulator would look like when our predictions, if our predictions go through as to where we, where they think they'll go through. Let us know what you think afterwards as well. We'd love to hear what some of the comments are going to be. Are we on the money or are we dribbling once again? But with that, that is full time here on the Splinters. I want to thank Dom Rizzuto for joining me tonight. And we've got a lot of football to cover over the next month and a bit. We've got a heap of football to cover. Um, what's one great about this year is that uh, it just never really stops because we'll have the European competition roll through once the domestic leagues are finished and that'll obviously run alongside the football that's happening here in Australia as well so plenty to talk we about give, we should give a quick preview of what's going to be coming up as well we've got the Premier League wrap which will be finishing up uh, the competition will be finishing up in a couple of weeks we've got a couple of very special um, profile and discussion episodes one involving football in New South Wales and, Dom, do we drop a hint about the big one that's coming up? No, keep it a secret. Keep it a secret? Keep it a secret. It's, it's, it is big, though. Let's just say it? it's big. That's the hint. Yeah, it is huge. And unfortunately, it's not quite to the hugeness of A-League meme, but who knows? We might be able to drag <laughs> them on one day. But <laughs> until then, it is, it is. You need to do some work to get them on the show. Until that next time, this is Splinters the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au, available for download at podcast.com, YouTube Music, Apple Store, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. We do it all for the Hornsby, Karingai Post, and Atlas Chartered Accountants on behalf of Dom Rizzuto. I'm Anthony DeBull Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night.